If God is sovereign, then we're not left to chaos and chance. And this means that God is the architect. All right, I'm so glad you're here as we look at creativity. But before we get to the Michelangelo's and the Picasso's, let's talk about the unsung heroes of creativeness. Accountants, mathematicians, and lawyers. Oh, is that not the list that you immediately think of? Often we limit what we classify as creative. We reserve creativity kind of for what only the five senses can respond to when we miss out on this intricate nature of this world, the complexity of this world, and how it works so incredibly well. There's an art in all of it, problem solving, bridging connections, forming order out of chaos. And you may do some of these things in your day to day. I know I've got like a mean laundry system. I got that thing down. Maybe you do some of these things in your job. It is creative, make no doubt. Even these are creative expressions that reflect the source of our creativity. And when we say that that kind of creativity, the source reflecting kind is limited, we may not realize it, but we've narrowed our scope of God's creativity and we fail to see his sovereignty over all things. We may treat him as if he has to work with parameters outside of himself, as if there were absolutes apart from God. I, I know this has been said about God being a good God. It's almost to say that God abides to goodness, as if goodness is the dominant thing, but it's the other way around. Or how about that God can only work within a timeline, right? Uh, so I've done this before in my past where someone says to me like, hey, Rick, will you, will you pray for me? Two o'clock. And sure enough, it's 3.30 by the time that I'm looking at my clock. Oh, I missed it. I missed my opportunity. Oh, if only I had prayed, God could have intervened. God doesn't work like that. Obviously, it's the heart in drawing towards God. Or maybe it's the fact that we assume that God maybe has created without intentionality. Let's see just how this whole thing plays out, like a trial and error kind of thing. But God has said this about himself, for I am a God and there is no other. I am a God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Notice that it doesn't say, oh, I hope I accomplish all my purpose. That's something that I would have to say. But when God says, I will accomplish my purpose, my counsel shall stand, it will, make no mistake. He has not only made creation, but how creation behaves and to what end. And there's a danger as we look at this to kind of look at it almost as mechanics with God. It really comes from being post-industrial era, but it's like the idea of God putting gears in place, setting them all up, and just watching them turn endlessly, doing the thing they're supposed to be doing, but that the fact that he can then just walk away. We need to think of it more as everything serves towards its fulfillment of its purpose, that everything is obedient to exactly how God made it to be. He has created the what, the where, the who, his creativity also includes the how and the why. He reigns over all of it. He is sovereign. We don't like that though. We love it for stabilizing atoms and creating an infrastructure of our ecosystem, both by the way that we take for granted and rarely think about. But when it comes to us, we like us to be a little more autonomous. That way we can have more control over our life and kind of how it all plays out. And we, we like to think that we're the sovereign ones over the world, which by the way, we didn't even create. Yet at the same time, in desperate and distraught times, when things aren't going our way, we love to quote verses like, 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We love verses like that, right? But really, can you really have it both ways? Do you really trust God works all things out towards his good and perfect will if we're not comfortable letting him be in charge? See, if God is sovereign, then we're not left to chaos and chance. And this means that God is the architect who has laid out all the plans, the interacting designs. He has laid the foundation, thought carefully and thoroughly through creation's workings, and remains authoritative over all of his creation. Now, this does not give us the excuse that we just can apply nothing, no effort in our life at all, right? We're called to be obedient just like the trees. And God will use us to fulfill his good purpose to completion. But that's because we're not outside of God's plan. He's not trying to fit us in like he created everything and then he created us as a side project and he's like, what would I do with you? I guess I'll put you in here. Okay, don't screw anything up, okay? So we're part of his integral design. And, and God is the architect. The Bible says that every house has a builder and God is the builder of all things. We are housed inside God's architectural design. We're included in all things. And this should give us great security and great comfort to fathom how our ecosystem is so fragile, yet somehow life is sustained. It's too much to think about. You ever, ever heard of antimatter? The scientists say that there's enough antimatter in the universe that we shouldn't even exist. And yet, here we are. John Calvin highlights that the heavens proclaim to us the glory of God, namely by openly bearing testimony that they have not been put together by chance, but were wonderfully created by the supreme architect. We can start simply by observation of the things around us, and we can see God's architecture at play. We can see his design. Now, look at this verse. It's the most famous verse that talks about this. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. Now, notice this verse highlights two attributes of God's, his power and his nature. First, his power is the ability and the capacity to execute his design. But hey, I can design things too. So what makes God's power so much different than mine? Well, because his power is eternal, which means it has a lifetime warranty as he upholds it, right? And the second is his nature, which is his comprehension of his design and that his reasoning is sound. But it is like no one else's comprehension or anyone else's reasoning because his is divine. No one else's nature is like his. That is, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He has not just created something so simple that anyone could have just created it. God uses his might and wisdom that cannot be duplicated to create so that when we look upon his complexity of his design, it reveals the might and wisdom required that only God possesses. Through his intricacy of his design, he is now has this visible power and his visible nature are now on display and it forces us to come to terms with his authority. And, and God has been making us deal with this since the beginning of creation, since the beginning of time itself. Just, just take a look at one of the first things that God formed. And God said, let there be light and there was light. So, so let's look 
at that verse for a second. Now, now we're not going to look at light. We're going to look at let there be. And in, in the Hebrew, it, it looks like this. It's one word. Yeah, and I know as you're reading it on the screen, you're probably like, does it actually sound like what I think it sounds like? It does. You're going to remember this forever. It's yeah, like a karate chop, bam, into action, right? And it comes to be. God says, boom, there it is, right? So the word literally means to become, or it means absolute, and that it's narrated into being, which means it's spoken by a source. And this is why we read in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus himself is the one that upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's a perfect execution. Let there be light, and there was light. But what's really fascinating is let there be and, and there was have the exact same meaning. God's object of creation is surrounded by absolute perfection. There are no faults, no limitations, no fractures, no mistakes. It was made exactly perfect in conception and perfect in execution. It's not, well, it could have been better or pretty good for God's directorial debut. It's not like we go around looking at God's creation and say, trees, I give about a seven, spiders, a one. We, God's design is not like rating movies. When we rate a movie, we're rating it based on something equal to it that we've seen before. There is no other creation that we can examine and look at and compare it to God's. And God is not being compared to any other God because He is the one true God. But we treat it like this, like that we can rate it because often we examine His design by our own understanding, assuming that we understand all of it. You know, right now, Kingship is hard at work in the renovations of our downtown building in Hillsborough, and we're so excited to get in there. And right now, I'm working with our architect on the building. And I'll totally be honest, I certainly have my ideas of my own, of how the building should look and how it should play out and everything. And I've caught myself saying more than anything else, why can't we just do this? Well, there's lots of reasons why we can't just do this. And notice that I'm never taking into account the code. I don't even know the code. And Bob, our architect, knows that I don't know the code or even the engineering constraints. No, Rick, you can't have the second floor be bigger than the first. And I shared with Bob about my sermon that we're doing right now about God as the architect. And we got talking about it. And, and I thought he would actually have some insight. And so I asked, well, what is something important about the architect that the average person, the client, doesn't realize about the role. And he responded with, hey, let me stew on this for a little bit so that I don't give you a flippant answer. And that pretty much sums it up. So somehow we assume the role, we assume the role as architect all the time, but without the eternal power and the divine nature when it comes to God, without the sum of all knowledge and wisdom. We take into account nothing other than what would make our own lives more comfortable. When I just wish the mosquitoes didn't exist. Why do they exist? See, our self-centeredness keeps us from recognizing the worthiness and the holiness of God's planning, His timing, molding, and design in His creation. And in doing so, we do not frame our lives trusting in God as the architect. So, so what is required to reframe our lives around this truth? Well, it starts with a humbling acknowledgement. You know, in Job's story, he is certainly distraught, and he is experiencing suffering uh, like no one else that I know. You know and, and he is certainly dealing with the complexity of God's sovereignty. Is this, is this really God's plan? Is he, is he really in charge? 
And Job's friends, bless their heart, they're, they're in the process with Job, uh, you know, trying to help him come to terms with things or dealing with what's going on. And one of his friends directs him to take a look to examine God's design. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge. Now, I admire Job's friend's intention here, but notice that things are kind of left to the amazement of how things work, which, by the way, we can kind of scientifically answer his questions today. But uh, man's kind of always been fascinated in God's wonders, kind of like a magic trick. Like if the idea of we could peek behind the curtain and see how it's all done. And even if we could do that and we could see all of it, once we understood like, oh, that's, that's how it works, we're not that amazed anymore. See, God himself intervenes at this point and uh, takes it from here. And, and what he does, he takes wonder a step further. And God addresses not the mechanics, but the authority he upholds in his design. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? I love that as God is creating, that everything in heaven and even creation itself is worshiping and praising God. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When it made the clouds its garments and, and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set the doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Do you hear the sovereignty in God's voice here? The complete control God has and upholds? And, and this humbles Job as it should any of us. And Job responds with, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You know, the magnitude of God's design will leave us in a lifetime of searching for answers. But, but we need to be careful of how we search because we could spend that time assuming that we'll arrive at the conclusions, that we'll be able to peek behind the curtain. And even if we do, that the fact that we think that we'll be able to grasp the full comprehension of God's wisdom, we, we can't. Yet we still would like to think that we could. Because if we could, then we're just as much in control as God is, right? And then we don't have to trust Him and His design. That We can kind of trust ourselves. And maybe our ideas are just as important as His ideas. And maybe... His ideas can even be improved upon. I mean, come on, it's 2022. Get with the times, God. Maybe now we know better than he does. You think, you think by that point in our minds that we're really treating God as if he really is God? But what is completely overlooked, that, we, that while we're searching endlessly for answers, the, the whole time, we're actually captivated by his creation. Even for someone that doesn't believe in God, they are spending their life looking at something they didn't create, right? Do you know who doesn't do that? God. God creates. He doesn't look and say, yeah, I could see how I could apply that to my own creation over here. That's something that we do. And yet we're the ones trying to be our own gods. His creation has our attention. 
and we're fascinated by his design. That even though it is beyond our complete understanding of it, it still reveals truth of who God is. And by acknowledging God's architecture as divine and powerful, it reframes how we live our lives. As the Bible says, we can look and see that he cares for the ravens, yet he cares even more for us. So maybe we don't have to freak out every time something doesn't go our way and we can simply trust that God will arrive at the ends that are best for us and are for his glory and for our goodness. And maybe that we don't have to look at tomorrow as a, as a right, but actually see it for what it is, which is a privilege. And the fact that we'll be obedient to God's ways because, hey, those are the best ones for us. And we don't have to live our life then self-centered, and we can be devoted to serving just as God serves. See, for Job, it reframes his life and brings him to repentance and continued obedience to live according to God's ways. And for John Calvin, it caused him to praise and worship God. As soon as we acknowledge God to be the supreme architect who has erected a beauteous fabric of the universe, our minds must necessarily be ravished with his wonder of his infinite goodness, wisdom, and power. We are overcome by what a good God he truly is, and we place our trust in him for our purpose and fulfillment through his Son. And we rest in his active reign to supersede over all things to their glorious outcomes. And it causes us to respond like Psalm 19, which is what John Calvin was reflecting on when he wrote those words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. And they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Nothing on earth can escape experiencing the effects of the sun. Much like we cannot escape the design of God's creation. We cannot experience life without experiencing God's handiwork. And just like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, that when Jesus, the Son of God, was brought close to us, when Emmanuel became present with us, that yes, there was separation, but that God left his throne chambers and it revealed the full measure of God's glory in Jesus. And we drastically experienced the presence of God and we further understood who he is. And that's because when Jesus came to be with us, he was the visible image of the invisible God. And, and the most important part of God's design was then on display, revealing to us not only the infinite characteristics of God, but also his design to bring about our salvation and restore us, which reveals himself further to be a gracious, merciful, and sacrificial God.